Hi, I'm Kevin Matthews, and um, this week has been a turbulent mix of festive fare and stuff that I probably would rather not mention, but I'm going to, because I believe that collective trauma is the better trauma. I'm Tyler Hosley, and I have this weird, sudden craving for Italian food. It's so bizarre. I'm Dave Gray, and this week I learned about the legend of Skull Crusher, which should become a Christmas classic any day now. And this is Raiders of the Podcast. Yay! Hey, you're gonna have to give me more on Skull Crusher. I, I no, I don't want to spoil Skull Crusher because I watch Violent Night, and that's what Skull Crusher's from. It's it's so much fun. <laughs> like I I don't want to oh, spoil okay. it because I know you haven't seen it yet. Right. You should you should see it. Uh David Harbour is so much fun in it. And John Leguizamo is, you know, he pops up and he's the big bad and he's so much fun in it. And Beverly D'Angelo is great. Although uh I went with my sister and she leaned over when Beverly D'Angelo first showed up and said, Melanie Griffith looks terrible. <laughs> I, I don't know how she made that mistake, but you know, that's, that's okay. We all, we all go a little face blind sometimes, I guess. But no, it's, it's great fun. It's, it's a solid, like if you go in just wanting a brutal action movie, you will not be disappointed. And let's be honest, who doesn't just want to see some heads get crushed on Christmas Eve? And besides that, I watched um, Gremlins. I saw Gremlins at the theater this weekend, which I had not done before because I was... Uh, when did Gremlins come out? Ooh, I, yeah. Mid-80s? Yeah. Like 84? 84, I think. So, yeah, I was four. So, I wasn't allowed to see it in the theaters. Uh, but, no, it's it's a blast. Uh, I took my niece. I took uh, Chris and his girls went with us. Everybody had a fun time. It was It was a good stuff. Oh, I did watch one other thing. I watched Fright Night because I love Fright Night. and I'm going to reference Fright Night a few times later. Yeah. That might be a minor spoiler. Fright Night. I had a relatively light week. I, But I did do a little Gondry homework. Uh, I watched The Green Hornet for the first time since theaters. Um, it's Gondry's worst film by far. But I still actually really like it, which I know I'm in the minority with. Uh, Directing-wise, you can tell he was on autopilot the whole time, and it's obviously not a genre he's overly comfortable with. But I take 20 more Green Hornets over Ant-Man for the Avengers any day of the week. Any day. Uh, the action scenes have a nice visual flair to them. I, I like Rogan. I always have, and I, I enjoy Rogan in this. It's not his best performance, but I think he's fine in it. Um. The actor that plays Cato, I thought, was really good. Uh, oh, shit. What's the villain from Glorious Bastards? His name is, like, fucking slipping me right now. Christoph Waltz? Yes. I thought he was a solid villain. I liked him in this. Um, it's far from perfect, and I know it's Gondry's worst movie, and I don't think he even enjoyed making this one, but I still really enjoy it. I enjoyed it a lot, and uh, I think it's pretty underrated in terms of superhero movies. So, yeah, and that is me. I probably don't like it as much as you, but I own a nice steelbook Blu-ray of it. Um, I don't think it's in 3D, but I can't remember. I forgot the 3D Blu-ray. But I didn't mind the Green Hornet. I actually have a 3D Blu-ray myself. Both. I, don't, I, don't have a, I don't have a 3D TV and I have the fucking 3D Blu-ray, so yes, I do like that movie. Yeah. Uh, maybe most of the discs were the 3D ones. I don't know. I can't remember. And it's tucked away behind other films right now so I can't see it and I'm not going to upset Dave more. Now I had a, a very mixed bag as I said uh, some some great stuff that I really enjoyed. You only just settled down for some like movie comfort food either stuff you've seen before or stuff that you've not seen but you know is going to be just what you want when you're slouching around 
and need some bright colours and maybe some songs. I know Tyler rarely feels this way, but that's what led me to watching. I watched Encanto, and I, I really enjoyed Encanto. I think it was uh, visually quite gorgeous. The songs were okay. I don't get why everyone was saying the... Um, I think it's just called We Need to Talk About Bruno song. We don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk, No, no. Right. But I, but I thought it was turned around by the time they were wanting to talk about Bruno. So I keep getting the song title mixed up. Anyway, I thought that was okay. But my favorite was generally the first big number with the lead character uh, covering all the family members and their powers and what happens. But it was it was good. It was a a nice film. It was just like really what I needed. So I did that, and I followed it up with Calamity Jane. I can't even properly remember if I watched Calamity Jane all the way through, because a lot of my childhood is just obscured by a cloud of being in love with Doris Day anyway. So I definitely saw enough Doris Day favor. Uh, fair, as a kid. But I'm not entirely sure if I saw Calamity Jane back then. Anyway, it's a delight. Doris Day is delightful. Uh, I think the whole cast are delightful. It's it's quite ridiculous and uh, over the top, obviously. A couple of great songs in there that everyone generally knows. And yeah, I I liked it. I I wouldn't put it up there with the the very top tier musicals, but I can see why it's you know generally up there in terms of like Doris Day films fan favorites. I would imagine uh, because it's it's wonderful. Are you a Calamity Jane fan, Dave? It's cute. I'm not as into Doris Day as you are. But it's it's good stuff. I'm not even going to ask Tyler because Tyler would just say something bad enough about Doris Day that will make me want to defecate on my own face. I don't even think I've seen a Doris Day movie, so it's yeah, that's where I stand. All right, yeah, that's that's less painful than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, and then you know, uh, very different fare. I watched a wounded fawn which I, I really enjoyed. I know Craig didn't really like it. He thought it was just all kind of vibe and nothing more. It's certainly a film focusing on imagery and atmosphere. But, I mean, I, I, I thought it was great. I think it's a, a film that would warrant uh, at least a couple of rewatches. It would reward you for that. I just thought it was really really good and the ending is a real kicker that dropped on Shudder I think just last week uh, so yeah really good, I haven't been brave enough yet to watch my Blu-ray that just arrived today of the, it's the 1976 King Kong so be warned I'm not beyond picking that for the podcast and you shouldn't be, it's <laughs> I'm going to be quiet until you pick it. <laughs> yeah. um, general mix of Christmas movies that I watch at this time of year. Your Christmas or mine is on Amazon Prime. As predictable as it is, it's also really enjoyable. Has some lines and moments that will make you kind of burst out into a, a sudden laugh because it's a little bit, you know, ruder than you expected or just more abrupt. So it's uh, one that's that's good. I, I would say it's pretty much still family viewing. Um, the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special was just, I'll be nice and say it was bang on average. Um, I guess it's in line with the sort of holiday special they were trying to replicate. So it does that. But you can tell the people they couldn't get more time with and how it barely 
feels like enough for the 40-odd minute run time, and it's just, yeah. Yeah, that's all it is. And Christmas on Mistletoe Farm was a film that I watched on Netflix, and it started, and I realised it was an R film uh, written and directed by Debbie Isset. Do you know the name Debbie Isset? Not off the top of my head. Ah, well, she did all of the Nativity movies. Oh. Huh. And even I, Generous Kevin Seven, gave the first Nativity movie 5 out of 10. And it went sharply downhill from there. So Christmas at Mistletoe Farm is sort of like the Nativity movies, if they were even worse. Didn't have any really big names to smatter around the cast, although you get in a small role Celia Imrie and you get Ashley Jensen back working with Isset. But again, it's one of those films, like, she seems to think, oh, we'll get some cute kids together, let them do what they want, and we'll film film them looking wide-eyed and enjoyably innocent and playful, and that will make up three-quarters of the feature. That's that's just not good. It seems to be what she's made a career out of. I think uh, probably about five of her movies are now in line with this. Because there's this and the four nativity movies. four nativity movies? There is, yeah. And they're so bad. I wouldn't even joke about making you guys watch them. They are they are so bad. I think one of them was uh, was almost the lowest of low. I think I gave that two out of ten. That was the third film, Dude, Where's My Donkey? And I still watched the film after that because I'm a glutton for punishment. Uh, the real but question my... is, did you see the so... musical adaptation? Well, uh, to answer that, Dave, I would have to say, go fuck yourself. And <laughs> <laughs> that was also directed by Debbie, is it? Um, I, I, I think not. I saw Nativity One, Two, Three, and then Nativity Rocks, and as far as I know, they are all done as films. So, um, was the musical like live, or did they do a musical no, version was, and was... record that as well? I don't know if they record. I I just told you what I know. There's a stage adaptation oh. that was also directed by Debbie. Is it? And it was like a couple years ago. I mean, I'm assuming it's it's a similar vibe. I think the Nativity movies. I believe their approach to making them is kind of try and let the kids improv a bit and catch moments from them, which works a little bit better in the first Nativity movie. Because Danny they, Dyer. Just obviously straight lucky. The, <laughs> Danny Dyer's the, in the Nativity musical. And Danny Dyer, yeah. Oh, God. And Sharon Osbourne. Oh, God. <laughs> um, <laughs> the world is a slightly colder place right now. <laughs> Uh, no, I won't be uh, going to say. That. I I really do think you know, um, like the, these films are just terrible, and they're obviously created in a way as if people have involved have been like, right, we want these films to appeal to kids. Now you think you'd watch these films; it would be a family film, but no, they're obviously aiming it for the kids. The kids can see that most of the runtime is spent with them. There's usually always one adult who's a kind of man-child character in all of them. Um, but like even in that regard, I have fonder memories of kids' programming aimed at kids when I was that age watching stuff that just seemed to be better put together than any of these movies. Like you could name a dozen kids shows aimed squarely at kids and I would probably say yeah better put together like even the score the score was 
was painful. It was just loudly yawning in and out. And it couldn't have been any worse if they just had someone in a corner who couldn't play a saw trying to play a saw. Uh, sorry, I've got that off my chest. That, that's me. I didn't mean to have that entire rant. It was obviously sitting there in, in my chest waiting to burst out. It's okay. This will make you happy. Uh, do you know how I saw Nativity, the the first one? Uh, did you go to the cinema? No, I'd ordered what I thought was a copy of the Flint Street Nativity, the BBC comedy special from, like, 99. Oh yeah, that was that was what I was promised. That's not great either, but it's much much better. Well, did did I ever tell you the story of my uh, musical mix-up? I was in my early twenties. I was going about you know car boot sales rummaging, and I always liked old uh, sort of rock and roll and the sort of compilation albums that would be rock classics. So I bought, it was a cassette, that's how long ago it was, and it had on the back the songs in alphabetical order, and I'm reading them, and I put the cassette in, and it was like, it was this, it was basically a wedding band singing these songs. <laughs> so I looked again, and I realised, kind of genius on their part, their name was alphabetical order. <laughs> I look at the songs and be like, they're not in alphabetical order. I'm like, oh fuck me, that's the band name. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's I'm sorry, that's brilliant. It is kind of brilliant, but at the time I was so peeved. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe I got hoodwinked by this. This week we watched the 1986 American black comedy horror film Vamp, and the 2004 sci-fi romantic drama eternal sunshine of the spotless mind dave yes dave would you like to pick a movie and tell us about it i sure would i'm actually going to be nice and i'm going to like someone else talk about eternal spotless i'm going to start with vamp uh directed by richard wink co-written by wink and donald p borchers borchers um borchers wrote leprechaun 2 or produced leprechaun 2 and uh, produced Children of the Corn, the original 1970 or 84 movie. Just, you know, for a little context. Uh, Chris Makepeace is a college student whose loudmouth friend somehow volunteers them to finding a stripper for a party that night in order to get into a fraternity. Uh, unfortunately, they're just, like, totally unable to find one in the phone book, despite that sh should have been pretty easy. So instead, they end up on the rough side of a town with their uh, pretty horrible uh, comedic Asian schoolmate in a bar full of vampires. Uh, okay. Uh, full, full disclosure. This is the first time I've seen vamp all the way through. I only seen it on television before. It's okay. Like I, I like it. Uh, there's, it's not, it's not perfect. Uh, I, I think the movie takes a little bit too long to get going. And it, it, but once it does, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Chris Makepeace is fine. Uh, the, the girl who is, uh, Dee Dee Pfeiffer, da uh, sister of more famous Michelle is, uh, really good. Gede Watanabe is, you know what? I like Gede Watanabe. When he pops up in things, I, you know, he's he's fine, but the characters he plays in the 80s are all very... What's what's a good word for it, Kevin? Um, They're all very... Um, Rish. Icky. Racially insensitive. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. 
They're all kind of they're all kind of icky. And in this case, he plays uh, a guy named Duncan, who is just not just incredibly pathetic and kind of dumb and kind of obnoxious. He's like I'm not sure did did Getty's manager love him enough to get him so much work in a time when. Let's be honest, it was really hard for Asian men to land so many roles in such a short period of time. Or did he hate him so much he uh, got off on sending him out for the most embarrassing jobs on offer? Yes to both, maybe. But he's he's game. He does as fine as he can. Uh, Billy Drago's in it. He's kind of wasted because Billy Drago's always a solid antagonist, not so much here. It's it's okay, and when it finally gets going, it's it's a lot of fun. A lot of the jokes land. It's it's pretty fun. It's still it never. It. The problem is like the the byline, you know, the tagline for this, as far as I can think, is just lesser fright night. Because it hits a lot of the same beats, not as well. Uh, I, Grace Jones is is visually striking. Uh, fun fact, the chair. Do you know whose body the chair is? I don't. Is it going to be Dolph? It's Dolph. Dolph Ludgren. Oh, that's nice. His body was cast for her uh, dance piece chair. And, like, it, like it, visually, it's just, it's incredibly striking, that scene. And there's some other, like, really nice little bits, like the couch... Uh, that's obviously filled with blood. I mean, like, that's really cool. There's a lot of really cool things in it. But the movie never really gets the tone right. Like, the Dee Dee Pfeiffer's adorable. And she's really cute in it, but her character is so painfully dumb, she's aggravating. At no point do the vampires ever feel like a real threat, either. And then, you know, like, when there is a confrontation that's supposed to have stakes it just kind of eh so I enjoyed it don't get me wrong it's a lot of fun I will watch this again I will finally buy this at a way overpriced out of print blu-ray it's just lesser fright night though I mean at the end of the day it's it's lesser fright night it was a mistake not to let Grace Jones speak because, I mean, again, she's she's gorgeous, and there's some real striking imagery with her, but it kind of undermines the character. She's in so little of it that, you know, except for the dance at the beginning and the very last bit, she's kind of a non-entity. And maybe your evil vampire should leave a bit more of an impression, movie. Uh... Yeah, it's. I like it overall. I, I like Sandy Barron in it. I I liked Dee Dee Pfeiffer fine. Getty Watanabe is great. Robert Russler, man, is he's he's a bit of a weak bit for the main cast. Just he just doesn't come off smooth enough. So you know, it's it's fun. It's just I think there's something really great under there that just didn't happen to come out and I you know it's just it's fun it's just not as much fun as I want it to be while watching it I've got to say because there's no sort of real better way to segue I know you've still to chat Tyler do you have this on Blu-ray T? I do not right so I I end up I have it twice on Blu-ray and one, I think, has a documentary and featurettes, and the other one has some different stuff and a commentary. So I did a bit of homework this week listening to the commentary, and it was Robert Russler and moderated, or he was accompanied by Cal Modell. And I just, you know, I need to warn people away from that commentary. It's a shame because Russler is obviously enjoying talking about his memories of that time because he was on a bit of a, a hot streak then, I would say. Certainly a few movies in a row. And the guy alongside him is just like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, those girls are hot, though, yeah. Oh, did you did you kiss her? Yeah. And, oh, yeah, there was a time when you maybe kissed Grace Jones. 
and it's really like Ew. quite infantile and embarrassing. And this is coming from me and telling like us. <laughs> yeah, it was like there are some little bits in there, but I wanted to know more about the movie and Rustler tries to give a bit more of his recollections and obviously it will only be, you know, one part of the whole thing because you know, he just knows his side of things and he's trying to be nice and offer up some other tales as well and interesting. But yeah, I've got to just say because if because you mentioned maybe looking out to buy it, Dave, I would probably advise to go for if it's cheaper, get the edition that has the documentary and featurettes and don't be too bothered about the commentary track. Noted. Thanks. No worries. That's that just that's just another strike against it compared to well, Fright Night. <laughs> that's not the film's fault. <laughs> I'm uh I'm hot and cold on this movie, mostly cold if I'm being honest. Uh there's things I like in it and there's things I don't like at all. Uh, Grace Jones, when she's on screen, is amazing. Every single time she's on that screen, I'm captivated without her saying a single line of dialogue. She's fantastic. And really the only truly memorable aspect of the entire movie. Uh, the strip club atmosphere has a nice sleazy vibe to it, and the vampire effects are pretty solid overall. and has some great lighting, too. But uh, the main cast, the frat boys, are so bad to the point that it almost takes me out of the movie. Uh, corny dialogue, bad acting, unfunny humor. I I didn't like any of the cast that wasn't Grace Jones. And Grace Jones isn't even in this fucking movie for like five minutes. So the rest of the runtime is spent with these generic-ass frat characters straight from any 80s college sex comedy. Just generic. Uh, the, the Billy Drago and his gang, uh, they're completely wasted, and I still have no idea why they're even in this movie. Patty. Because it feels like a... I mean, you've, you've got to fill that hour, 30-minute mark. Yes. Uh, it's just, if they feel like an afterthought. They they shouldn't even be in this movie. It's just wasted. And you shouldn't waste Billy Drago. Billy Drago's amazing. Uh, like Dave said, the uh, the vampires don't feel like a threat at all, which kind of sucks. I, I don't hate the movie. I don't, like, outright despise it. I just, it, a lot of it doesn't work for me. And it should. A vampire sex comedy set in a strip club should be my jam, but I've just, I've never been a big fan of this one. I think, uh, and Tarantino's probably a fan of this one, uh, because From Dusk Till Dawn actually takes some so aspects of this movie. A lot of it. I think From Dusk Till Dawn does so much of it better. Like, uh, Selma Hayek's character is basically Grace Jones, but Selma Hayek is like way better used. I mean, she's, not in the movie that much either. She probably has as much screen time as Grace Jones did in Vamp, but I think Selma Hayek is used better in From Dust Till Dawn than Grace Jones is used in Vamp. Not saying Grace Jones isn't amazing in this movie. I just, I think From Dust Till Dawn takes the aspects that were good in Vamp and used better in From Dust Till Dawn, in my opinion. Oh, but like I said, well, I don't. What was that? I mean, I, I agree with you, but I think we're, we're, actually more in agreement than you realize because what from dusk till dawn does really well is set up the characters and it's something you might argue but i'd say fright night does really well in the first you know half hour they set up the stakes and the characters and this one doesn't they're just yeah they're just it's frat boy one and two mm -hmm. oh i i agree about frat night too i joke around I've that little uh alligator mouth to vamp in our messages was actually a joke because I, I don't like Fright Night. I'm not a big fan of that movie, but I do think Fright Night is better than this because at least it sets up characters and has likable characters in it. There's just, there's nothing here. There's nothing in vamp. Uh, Grace Jones is the only character that's worthwhile and she's not even in the movie and she has no dialogue. So yeah, I'm not a big fan of this one. I actually own the Anchor Bay edition of this, which is like out of print and expensive. I bought it like years ago at a movie store that was closing down for like four bucks. So that was a good deal. But um, yeah, not a big fan. I don't hate it. It's just kind of there. You Perry bastards. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. Um, I, I love Vamp. I've always had a soft spot for Vamp. 
I put it on a par with Fright Night. I do agree that From Dusk Till Dawn takes <laughs> takes a lot from this and does um you know does quite a few things a bit better. It uh, certainly does the the developing carnage better. The vampires feel like a threat in From Dusk Till Dawn, and you have a sensual, actual, sexy dancing uh, striptease slash burlesque act rather than Grace Jones on stage terrifying people and waving her hand forward like a, a clawed paw at patrons. There was one point where a woman came on with a, I think it's a hard hat and like dungarees. So that and looks very unsexy. Nobody looks like they want to be dancing on stage. It's the unsexiest selection of sexy dancing that uh, has possibly ever been shown. What is it with early 80s movies and strippers that don't, you know, strip? <laughs> yeah. It's just I mean, there's strange. this, there's Flashdance. Flashdance is uh, about a woman who does, you know, performance art dances in a steel town. I've been to PA Steel Towns, and let me tell you, that is not a thing. Have a beer, have some chips, watch this performance dance piece where I'll show you some of my shoulders. I'd be like, no, I demand a refund. But I like I like so much about Vamp. Um, Grace Jones is certainly a a, a striking presence. Uh, good choice for for that character. I like the fact that they don't really have her speaking. Uh, she doesn't she doesn't say anything, does she? Not a word. No, right. Um, but I just I just like that she's she's this mysterious elder vampire that you don't get to find out anything about. You just know that you know everyone else around her is kind of in her thrall. I think it works. I quite like the leads as as standard uh, likable teen leads. Um, Makepeace and Rustler, I think, work well together. Uh, you know, they're they're different types, and I think in terms of how they get along and how they are incorporated into the plotting, I think it works well. You know, I agree with how uh, Watanabe is done a, a disservice but it's it's not a bad uh, character form uh, probably his I mean, agent it's not long duck e- done, but... I was going to say anything would be upwards from long duck dong uh, Dee Dee Pfeiffer is super cute and likeable I think she's like she's a really great uh, 80s horror gal in this um, she's, she's really nice she's quirky and I in a good way, in a not annoying way, I find, um, you know, I I just first time I saw this, I fell in love with her anyway. I've always really liked Dee Dee Pfeiffer ever since. And yeah, you've glossed over far too quickly the superb Sandy Baron. He is a definite highlight, particularly in the third act. I think it's just fantastic his uh his main one or two scenes with uh the the main character who's a third act talking to him i think that's great going about vegas and what's classy and what's not i think the the balance of humor and horror works quite well here it could go further into the sorry the horror and some blood and guts but i think it's uh I think it's a pretty good mix. That is helped by using uh, Billy Drago in his role and his gang. I think it's just a, a cool little extra aspect to it. But what I like most about this is generally the atmosphere and the, the strangeness of it. They they have gone to this club and then they have basically gone through a doorway into this other world. When you see the scenes with the 
it's almost the split level lighting with the the pinky purple on one side and the green on the other. Uh, when you have Chris Makepeace's character with Dee Dee Pfeiffer's character in this bizarre hotel that could be sort of a, a ramshackle building in a Jean-Pierre Jeunet film, I I just really like all of these little details that don't have to be there and have no real reason to be there. It's just this constant, slightly off-kilter imagery and vibe. And I really dig it. It's just always worked for me. So I I get the love for Fright Night. And Fright Night, I think, has the... I think Fright Night does generally a better job of sort of updating the classic vampire movie tropes and and being the better mix of some comedy with some great scares and horror movie moments. But I think Vamp comes really close. And I picked it because it tends to be one that isn't mentioned as much. And I have enough love for it to always want to mention it, especially if people have enjoyed from Dust Till Dawn, or if they've already seen like Fright Night and you know, and the Lost Boys and and other popular eighties vampire movies, I've I've never thought this was sort of as well known. So it's good that hopefully others will check it out, and I prefer more people to agree with me. <laughs> Although I hear you two not hating it. No, I, I don't. That. No, I, I didn't just, hate I just it. Like it more. It, yeah. yeah, I just, I just think that it it could work so much better if they'd set up the the opening. The first act need needed some tweaking. I mean, that, that's all I'm saying. Unlike Tyler, I enjoyed the rest of it. <laughs> uh, like it, Wink is. Um, I I know Tyler's probably seen. Oh God, was it Wishcraft? Wishcraft. I think. I think is that the Wink one? Is that. Is, that the, is that the slasher one from the nineties? Uh, early two thousands. It was. Uh, I can't remember if it's. I get it confused with. There's one called Wisher, and there's one called Wishcraft. And I think both are obviously uh, riffing after Wishmaster. I have seen so Wishcraft. But I, don't I can't remember exactly show. how it pans out. But yeah, uh, Wink also did that. I don't think there's there's much else of note as a director, but he's written a fair few. I hope to write. So he's, he's somebody I generally tend to quite enjoy. Dude, Wink, uh, Wink did the Equalizer movies, man. Yeah, and, uh, and The Protégé, which uh, I quite liked as well but um he's i think he's been doing you know he's been getting some quite good writing gigs and of course dracula bites the big apple of course i did not have time to watch that and it is on at least one of the discs i have it's a it's a short right i think it's a uh short. yeah i think so that, uh, that he did before vamp yeah yeah uh, going from one person that I really like, though, to another, uh, Tyler brought us Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, directed by Michelle Gondry, and uh, the I think the main screenplay credit goes to Charlie Kaufman, there's uh, Gondry and Pierre Bismuth involved. Those are, those are story credits, just for mm-hmm. the record. So... This is the tale of Joe Barish, played by Jim Carrey, uh, finding out that Clementine, played by Kate Winslet, has actually gone to a company that appears to do the job of erasing memories of someone that you no longer want to have in your life. Get rid of, you know, if you've ended a relationship, get rid of it out of your mind. Get rid of all the attachments, all the memories, do that. He uh, finds out that she has done that. He wants the same process. 
So goes along to the clinic headed up by a doctor played by Tom Wilkinson. And uh, they're going to work on him through the night, especially uh, two workers played by Mark Ruffalo and Elijah Wood will take care of that. Meanwhile, Carrie starts to have doubts, uh, realises there are things he wants to hang on to and is running through his own subconscious, his own collection of memories with his mental image of Kate Winslet's character. So, yeah, I've watched Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind before. I don't think I've watched it since it was uh, it was first out, though, on DVD. I've owned it for a long time. It's one I've thought, well, I need to be in the mood to watch that again. And obviously, uh, Tyler, in his infinite wisdom, thought after a couple of years getting over bad pandemic throughout the world and then horrible personal times, this would be the right time. Thanks, Tyler. <laughs> no, it's 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 a good one. I think it resonates more um like the, the more you've been through for for good and for bad because although it is about our relationship and it's about the end of a relationship but it's about what develops throughout a relationship and all these different sort of spider web lines of attachments between people it's I mean it's it's quite universal about anything that you have in your mind uh about your about your life, whether it's some moment you've fixated on for years where you didn't have a comeback to someone who really insulted you or you stayed at a job too long and wanted to get out or just any permutation of a major life choice. There's that. And it's also about your own way of recollecting these moments in your life. Because did they happen as you remember them? Or is it because you'll never be able to look around your own filter and you're in that moment in a certain mindset, in a certain mood? It's it's a fascinating kind of prism of a movie. It's obvious why Gondry would like the material uh, as a director. I've liked his stuff since knowing his music videos. I have the um, the DVD set with all his, well, most of his music videos on there. He likes uh, he likes stuff that repeats and goes along with the rhythm. He likes kaleidoscopic imagery. He likes uh, to work practical in-camera effects and make illusions that really pay massive dividends. So this is this is ideal. Uh, it makes use of, of pretty much all of that uh, in certain certain scenes, uh, especially the in-camera effects, which I think are really well done. Uh, Kaufman has obviously done the sort of story with someone slightly devouring themselves at best, so he's good with that. Uh, behind the cameras, just really, really solid with the director. I think performance-wise, uh, Carrie's brilliant. He's not... I can't think of any moment where he really starts to do any mugging. Maybe... Yeah, I mean, there's probably the scene where he's sort of playing the infant version of himself, which has obvious sort of overdone... Uh, comedy element to it but generally he's really really good and not sort of falling back on his usual bag of tricks I think Winslet is great I think she just does enough to avoid being well I, I think it's easy enough to, to say that is it the manic pixie dream girl archetype 
Is that right? Oh yeah. Oh no, yeah. she's she is the yeah. definition of <laughs> I think um I I think it feels a bit different from that because of again, um throughout most of the movie she is she's playing sort of not herself, it's herself as as sort of held up or pulled down by Carrie's character. I really like that. I think it just adds a layer around it that saves it from being the absolute typical example of what her character could be. Wilkinson's very good in a small role. Uh, Wood and Ruffalo are fun. And there's a, a decent little term from Kirsten Dunst, um, which, you know, her character turns out to be quite uh, pivotal. It's it's really good. It is a film that now when I watch it, I am thinking probably less about everything as it unfolds exactly on screen and more about, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's the price we pay. That's uh, relationships end and it hurts and it's horrible. That's the price you pay for the good stuff. And, uh, you know, when you're having the good stuff with people, you you find out the the downtime. You find out the, the bad stuff. And then with when you're with someone and you're enjoying the good stuff more, you put up with the bad stuff. Or, you know, if things are sort of fraying, the bad stuff is built up and seems like it's worse and worse and worse. It's just... It's one I think everyone should watch. I think it's... Uh, a great film. I would advise people to be sure that they're in the right kind of mindset to watch it without too many of their hang-ups dragging them down because it is a film that will remind you of your hang-ups and maybe have you pondering the entire history of your life. So that was like 46 and three-quarter years I was looking back on. Thanks, T. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Yeah, I mean, it's a good move. I mean, <laughs> uh, the cinematography is by Ellen Curris, who, uh, God, she's worked with um, a ton of folks Sam Mendez, Jim Jermosh, uh, Scorsese, and uh, a few of, of her own films um as a cinematographer she did coffee and cigarettes with jermosh and gondry against be kind rewind and uh summer of sam and bamboozled for spike lee and blow just an excellent cinematographer who uh i you know i'm not sure i i think mostly does uh documentaries now and um television but Excellent cinematographer whose work is just fantastic in this. Uh, have you guys read the pro the production script? Because that that is floating around. If you look, I haven't actually. And the fact, if you know, we haven't done the <laughs> yeah, reading. Okay, all right. I'm always going to ask. <laughs> you know this now. Um, but the fact that anybody was able, to, and and not just not just her, but the the production designer and everyone involved behind the scenes on this film deserve all credit because the, the in-camera effects and the continuity editing is is absolutely fantastic it's edited by um i'm gonna i'm gonna ruin this uh an icelandic editor named valdis oskaditar who um did uh finding forester and uh les mis the um uh, the 98 version, the the really terrible one with Liam Neeson and Jeffrey Rush. And uh, Julian the Donkey Boy. Excellent editor. Like, everybody that worked on this was at the, the absolute top of their game. Uh, the in-camera effects are, are amazing. Almost all the effects are in-camera. There is some CG, but it's mostly in-camera. And the, the production on this film is... I mean, okay... This movie came out in, what, 2004? 2004. Yeah. And 
uh, right before the real huge CG boom. I mean, it was getting more and more, but not like it is now where, like, everything is CG. And, but the, the practical effects in this are, are just, they're fantastic. And, and they're, they really add to the film. And there's a lot of layers going on. I mean, there's, they've erased each other repeatedly, right? At this point. Um, I, I never got that from this, but I know that that was intended, I think, as a, well, it's, it's a it, sort of final note. Yeah, it's in the production script. They've they've erased each yeah. other like fifteen times. But I've always got it from this too, partly because of the hair colors and how long each one is supposed to be. Uh, and I I think there were scenes they filmed with um, Naomi, who is the reference girlfriend of uh, Jim Carrey's character, like an on again, off again ex in between. Bouncing between Naomi, who he doesn't delete, and which that's some messed up stuff right there. <laughs> if I stop and think about it, uh, but like it's it's probably Carrie's best. If you ask me, it's Carrie's best. He doesn't mug. He plays a fully formed character. It's not like like Carrie can be really good. Or he can be a ridiculous jackass. And in most movies, he's a ridiculous jackass. Even movies that folks kind of gush over him on. Like, Man on the Moon, he doesn't make uh, Andy Kaufman a, a human. He plays Andy Kaufman as a mugging jackass at all times. I mean, yeah, he does the few dramatic bits well, but he doesn't present him as a human being. And, you know... Folks might gush over that, but for me, watching someone do a greatest hits is just not the point of a biopic. So, you know, whatever. But then, like, uh, dumb and dumb, like, it's all mugging for Carrie or, uh, ah, uh, crap, uh, kick ass too. Like, it's, it's just mugging. And this time, it's the only time I can think of where he plays a fully formed human being. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love the cable guy in some of his other movies, but this is his best show by far. And it's one of the last really good performances from Winslet, if you ask me, because, yeah, she plays an insane character, but she plays her straight. She plays her grounded. She's not playing her as look at how good of an actor I am. Give me my award now, please, which has been most of her career since this film. Uh but the, the, the rest of the cast is, is excellent. Um, Ruffalo is really good in his limited bit. Elijah Wood is creepy as shit. Tom Wilkinson is excellent. And the story going on there that is totally third string is fascinating. Like, it's fascinating, the things that pop up. Uh, I enjoy the crap out of it. It's well made. It, it's everybody at their best. And uh, I'm I'm still shocked over uh, over the fact that this got made in a wide release. Because, you know, nowadays it's, it's rare. There's a few more because of some smaller uh, studios rising up in the last couple years. But... You know, it, it's it's good to see some unusual stuff. Uh, Universal's been working on turning this into a TV show for the last five years now. So when that eventually pops up, that'll be that'll be terrible. Anyway, it's yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, this is a uh, another favorite of mine. This movie is amazing, uh, and it's the actual movie version of the saying: "It's better to have loved and lost than to have loved at all." It's that quote put the film. Any human being that's been through a breakup or any life-altering event of any kind should relate to this movie in some way. Uh, Kaufman's script is incredible. It feels so fucking real, even though it's taking place in this weird science fiction romantic drama universe. Uh, Jim Carrey is absolutely just wonderful in this movie. It's the movie that showed me that Carrey could actually be brilliant, and that's not knocking comedic work at all i love him in comedy 
but he's on a whole different level here. He feels like an actual human being, subdued, natural, and relatable. I adore him in this movie. I think he's really great in The Truman Show as well, another movie that I really love. Um, Kate Winslet is also incredible in this. Honestly, I've never seen a performance of hers I haven't liked. Even if I didn't like the movie she was in, she's always good in that said movie. Uh, but she's adorable and sweet in this, and I just I love her in this. Her and Carrie have fantastic chemistry together, too. Uh, the sporting cast is really good. Mark Ruffalo, Kirsten Dunst, Elijah Wood, all solid. It's beautifully shot. I, I love the way this movie looks. It has some great handheld camera work in there, too. Just I, I love handheld camera work, and it's used so well here. I'll, just, I'll never forget going to the theater to see this opening weekend with a packed theater full of people thinking they were getting another Jim Carrey comedy and seeing their hearts ripped from their bodies with how emotionally moving this film actually was. That was amazing. Just fucking amazing. It's a masterpiece. And uh, I love all of Gondry's work. This, The Silence of Sleep, uh, Be Kind Rewind, really great comedy with Jack Black. It's probably one of Jack Black's best performances, actually. I love that movie. But uh, this movie is truly something special. And any kind of life-altering event at all that you've been through, this movie is perfect for you. I've had a shitty year myself, and uh, this is probably not the movie I should have watched, but I love it, and I watch it as comfort movie cinema, which is just weird. But uh, I adore this movie. It's fantastic. Have you um, seen the music video Sugar Water? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think I, so. I think that's the name of the song. I can't remember the name of the band by uh, by Gondry. Have you seen it, Dave? I have. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's been a bit. It's so good. Uh, oh, I've just looked up the details. Chibo Mato, I think it is Sugar Water. Yeah, like you should check that out. I'll try and find it for you. It's like obviously three, three and a half minutes, but it's it's two different sides that uh, they they interconnect. It's just great Gondry stuff. It's that time. It's time to pick one. And, you know, for me, it's it's Eternal Sunshine. It's... Um... I know, you don't want to say it because he's going to gloat and he's going to make it a big deal, but yeah. Yeah, it's Eternal Sunshine. I won't gloat. Uh, yeah, Eternal Sunshine. And you're not going to give one all hail the sweep king? Come the fuck on. <laughs> I do it too often. It'd be, that, that's cliche right now, right? <laughs> but awesome. it's tied with vamp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week, it's, it's Tyler gets another turn at bat, uh, but so do I. And I'm going, uh, back to a well we've been to before. I'm going with, uh, a film in the Stray Cat, Stray Cat Rock series, getting a little Mako KG on, Sex Hunter. Nice. That should pair up nicely with the 2001 romantic teen drama, Crazy Beautiful. Dear God, why am I caught in the middle of you two? <laughs> uh, well, that's that's a complicated question, Kevin. First off, there's your uh, masochistic streak, <laughs> and there's general uh, Scottish tending to, uh, like, haggis, because that makes you think of guts, which makes you think of Tyler's picks. I mean, it's 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 deep. It's ingrained in your psyche in a way that you can reach us on our blog spot, our Facebook page. Uh, if you really need to get a hold of us, you can email us at Raiders of the Podcast at gmail dot com. As always, uh, oh, oh, and don't forget to check out our uh, YouTube where Kevin does fantastic videos, and eventually we'll start uploading episodes there again. It's just you know, w when I can carve out time to finally finish all the ones I've started working on. Until then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, guys. I'll talk to you next week. See ya. See ya. Anytime, anytime.
gone too long. Anytime it goes away.